Good morning. My name is Bill Robbins. I'm the director of marriage enrichment. And today we're going to be looking at First uh, Peter chapter 3. And you may have noticed in your bulletin that uh, Jay Fireball and I are both speaking. Uh, we're not delivering two sermons. I want to put your mind at ease. Yeah, no applause, please. But one of the uh, themes of the book of First Peter in the New Testament is the concept of Christian submission. And I have a little story that kind of illustrates how the world might see submission. There was a, a mild-mannered fellow who was uh, having trouble at home. So he went to see his counselor, and the counselor said, you know, you just need a better self-image. So he gave him a book on being more assertive. So the guy read it on his way home on the bus, and he walked in the door, and he went up to his wife, and he said, from now on, things are going to be different around here. When I get home, I expect dinner ready and on the table. And after dinner, I expect one of my favorite desserts. And after dessert, I'd like you to draw me a bath so I can relax a little bit. And after I take my bath, guess who's going to comb my hair and dress me? And she said, probably the undertaker. <laughs> that was kind of bad advice from that uh, counselor. But last week we saw in First Peter chapter 2 that we're all to be subject or submissive for the Lord's sake to human authority. We talked about we must obey the speed limit pay our taxes, show respect for those in elected offices. Uh, we, the reason that Peter gives for these calls to submission is that our submission will lead others to Christ. But this is the background for chapter 3, and notice how chapters 2 and 3 are connected with the phrase in the same way. So if you'd open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. If you don't have your Bible with you, the words are also on your uh, handouts in the uh, bulletin. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence for instance, your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Many families today, and evidently in Peter's day, had husbands who do not believe the word. I'm thankful 
for the dynamic men's ministry we have here at New Life. Uh, we have some godly men here at New Life. The men's ministry is led by Josh Boggs, New Leadership, and they do events and support for men to live godly lives. Uh, Pastor Jay has men's encounters a couple times a year where men can be transformed by the Word of God and by prayer and fellowship with other men. These are great, but the strongest tool in God's toolbox is found in the passage we just read, and it's a God-honoring wife. Who are men who do not believe the Word? That could be somebody who has heard the Word and rejected it. It could be a man who has accepted Christ but has walked away from it and living in his own strength, believing that his way is better than God's way. Now, I know most of the people in this room are not married to a man who does not believe the word. Some of you aren't married. That leaves you out. Uh, some of you are men. That leaves you out. Think about that. Uh, and some of you are women who are married to men who are believers. But don't tune us out because this message and this passage speaks to all of us in our relationship with unbelievers. First, I want to speak to the women who are married to non-believers, and then we'll broaden the application to all of us. The first thing Peter says in, in verse 1 to wives married to non-believers is be submissive to your husbands. And he repeats that instruction in verse 5. In our modern society, the roles of biblical headship for the husband and biblical submission for the wife is often ridiculed and looked at as being out of touch or out of date, not for our society. But God knows how we are built. When we understand and follow his instruction, our lives and our marriages just seem to work. My wife Claire was saved several months before I was. Uh, we were both in our 30s. And one night, Claire was reading a book in bed called A Taste of New Wine by Keith Miller. And she finally, you know, the light went on for her that salvation wasn't about what she needed to do or what she needed to perform, but she really just needed to trust Christ and his finished work as the payment for her sins. And she could live, you know, free in Christ. And if you know Claire, you know that she's enthusiastic. Well, believe me, when she was saved, she was very enthusiastic about the gospel. And the first one she wanted to share it with was me. Uh, and she kind of overwhelmed me. Uh, you know, we'd been married for uh, quite a few years, and uh, our marriage at that point was probably the best that it had ever been. God had done some things that drew us close and and we were really as close as we'd ever been as a couple. And this new salvation started driving me away from her. All of a sudden, things that uh, we watched on TV, we can't watch that. Uh, you know, we can't listen to this kind of music. Uh, you know, you shouldn't drink that much. Uh, you know, all these, uh, you know, Claire was very sensitive to anything about God and she was very unhappy with everything I did. And it kind of made my life unhappy. Uh, 
A friend took Claire to a book study called You Can Be the Wife of a Happy Husband. The book is written around the principles of, that we just read in 1 Peter chapter 3. And as Claire began living out the message of purposeful submission and unconditional love for me, all of a sudden God began speaking to me about my own spiritual condition. His love, her love and acceptance gave me a picture of God's love and acceptance. Uh, she was loving me as I was, and it gave me the understanding that God might love me as I was. It was just a short couple of months later that I was convicted of my own sin and turned my life over to Christ. And Claire still lives and teaches these principles today. Ladies, you cannot transform your husband. Uh, if you have a husband who does not believe the word, uh, by direct action, you cannot transform him. Only Jesus can. And he can do that when you follow these principles. But let's look at seven things that submission does not mean. Submission does not mean women are to submit to men. This passage is speaking only to wives and husbands and their husbands. I see no biblical constrictions on women as bosses or CEOs or even president of a big country like this. Men are not superior to women or women to men. We are both to submit to God and the roles that he has assigned to us. Submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. You know, Claire and I are the world's most opposite couple. We don't look at anything the same way. Uh, we have learned to sort things out and in mutual submission come to an agreement. But there's a saying that if two people agree on everything, then one of them isn't necessary. Uh, Claire and I are both very necessary. Submission does not mean agreeing with all your husband thinks. Submission does not mean leaving your brain and your will at the wedding altar. It is not the inability or unwillingness to think for yourself. You know, Claire heard the gospel. Like the wife in this passage, she thought about it and she accepted it. You know, I heard the gospel and didn't accept it right away. Peter does not tell the wife not to think for herself. Submission it does not mean avoiding every effort to change your husband. The whole purpose, as I see it in these first six verses, is to change the husband, to make an eternal change in the husband. In reality, the strategy for changing him is your submission. Submission does not say, I give up all efforts to change you. What it does say is, God, I will get out of your way so you can change my husband. Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Submission to Jesus is a higher call than our submission to any person or anything. Submission does not mean that a wife gets her personal spiritual strength from her husband. A good husband should indeed provide strength and build up and sustain his wife. He should be a source of strength. But she is called to develop depth and strength and character, not from him, 
but for him. Verse 5 says that her hope is in God, not in her husband. Finally, submission does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear. A Christian woman is a free woman. When she submits to her husband, whether he's a believer or a non-believer, she does it by her own choice and freedom, not out of fear. What then is submission? It's the daily choice to follow a husband's authority and a decision to yield to his leadership. It's an attitude that says, I am submitting to you in obedience to God. You are my husband, but Christ is my king. The foundation Peter gives to these wives is a foundation that can be used by all of us in, under all of our relationships, especially with unbelievers. First of all, people who hope in God and begin to become deep, tranquil, strong, gentle, fearless persons on the inside start to act outwardly in ways of purity, reverence, and humility that these ways are appealing to unbelievers. The point and the purpose of these first six verses is to win unbelievers to Christ. God calls us all to be like the holy women of old and to hope in God. Not hope in husband, not hope in wife, or children, or job, or government, or insurance, or investment, but to hope in God. And from that great security in God, allow him to transform us into the deep, peaceful, quiet, and strong people that Peter says are precious to God. And from that inner person, let your behavior become more and more pure and reverent and servant-like, if by any means we might win some non-believers to Christ in his kingdom. So just like Bill said, this concept of submission isn't a particularly popular emphasis in our day. I, uh, in the midst of my studying, I ran across this good housewife test from 1939 <laughs> in which you would get demerits for certain things, the wife would. Here were some of those things. If she wears soiled or ragged dresses and aprons around the house. If she doesn't like children, that's a minus five right there. If she goes to bed with curlers in her hair or too much face cream. If she puts her cold feet on her husband at night to warm them. Now that probably is worth some demerits. I got to give you that one. How about this? If the seams in her hose are often crooked. Or if she wears red nail polish. There you go. Demerits for all of those things. I think that's interesting because I think sometimes if we're not careful, we give off this impression that to be more godly is to be like it was back in 1939 or to be like it was in the 40s or the 50s. But that's not true. And if we're not careful, this idea of submission can kind of have this antiquated feel like, oh, yeah, that was something that worked then, but it doesn't work now. But you see, this concept, like everything in the Word of God, is more about what God wants for us than what God wants from us. And if we'll do it His way, then He'll work His work out through us. That's the concept that He's after here. See, the concept of 
<clears throat> the concept of submission is just as applicable in 2009 as it was in 1939, as it was in the first century when Peter wrote these words. Submission isn't a matter of superiority or inferiority. Submission isn't a matter of weakness. In fact, it takes great strength to submit, doesn't it? Whether we're talking about wives to their husbands, or we're talking about employees to employers, or we're talking about it in the church, or we're talking about it in the government or the home, submission takes great strength to put it into practice. In fact, in our marriages, we need to understand it's okay, like Bill said, to disagree. To even argue is okay. If you do it fair, you know, you don't hit below the belt. You don't uh, fight dirty, those kinds of things. It's okay to even voice your strong opinions. See, you're a team, and as a team, everybody gets their say. But you see, what submission does mean is that after it's all been said, that if there's still disagreement, that you as the wife will voluntarily bring yourself under your husband's headship in that area. And choose not to manipulate or not to undermine. Choose not to take charge of the situation because you don't respect or trust his decision-making about that. But that out of respect for his position, you will bring yourself under the umbrella of his headship in your home for that action, for that choice, for that decision. Some of you are thinking, but I don't respect him. Doesn't matter. Out of respect for his position, you bring yourself under his headship in that particular issue. Some people say, well, I'll, I'll submit with him if I agree with him. <laughs> but that's not submission. In fact, you don't even get the chance to start submitting until you disagree, do you? And so God's very clear on this, that if we want God's blessing on our homes and our relationships, then we need to do it his way. And he clearly calls wives to understand and put into practice this aspect of biblical submission. But lest you think that we're picking on wives this morning, God also has some instructions for husbands in this passage, doesn't he? You heard them at the end of the passage that Bill read. Let me read to you again. Verse number 7, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where Peter turns his focus to the men, to the husbands. And there he says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You see, <clears throat> a husband might be tempted to take advantage of a wife's submissiveness. You know, over the years, I've, I've worked with and been aware of all sorts of situations where husbands have somehow felt like because of this biblical teaching of submissiveness that it was their place to order their wives around. You know, to either order them or to shame them out of, you know, but you're supposed to submit. And I've seen husbands 
out of that guise of somehow thinking that was their place, that was their right, lead their wives into all sort of degrading, immoral, unethical things. See, that's using the biblical term, but missing the biblical concept altogether, isn't it? Never miss this, guys, that the command to submit is given to wives, not to men. It's not our role to tell our wives to submit. That's the voluntary choice of our wives. And we need, as guys, to quit reading their mail and read our own. And so here's our mail, verse 7. I think in this verse, there's three big things that Peter wants us as husbands, if you're a husband this morning, to grab hold of. And here's the first one, as he says, to be considerate to our wives. Here's some synonyms for for considerate. Courteous, polite, thoughtful, attentive, generous, and gentle. So guys, let me ask you, are those words an accurate description of how you are with your wife? See, Peter says here that they should be. Here's the definition of considerate. It's having are marked by regard for the needs or feelings of others. And so does that describe how you are with your wife? Do you regard her needs and her feelings even ahead of your own? You know, in a, in a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so are you giving yourself up for your wife? Are you regularly laying down your life for her? See, what I've found is we have the tendency, guys, to treat our wives either like our daughters or our mothers. We treat her like our, our daughters when somehow we get this sense that I've, it's, it's my place to be able to tell her what she can and can't do. I, I do that with my daughter, right? And if she doesn't, I ground her or I punish her or I discipline. You know, I have the right to tell my daughter what she can and not, can't do. You know, I heard a wife one time say, uh, but my, my husband forbids me to do that. And I thought, what are you, 12? <laughs> See, guys, it's not our place to treat our wives like our daughters. Nor is it our place to treat our wives like our mothers. We turn our, our wives into our mothers when we kind of just turn the leading of the home over to her, and then we just do enough to keep her off our back. Or to make her happy, right? But here's what you need to understand. Your wife is not your daughter and she's not your mama. She's your partner. And so Peter says you need to, secondly here, you need to treat her with respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Treat her with respect. To value her. 
and value her role in your life and in your home. And what he does is Peter juxtaposes two thoughts up against each other. He said, even though she's the weaker partner, and he's talking about physical strength there. You know, most women are weaker than men, though I've met some women that I'm sure could whip my rear end any day of the week. But, but as a rule, they are weaker physically. And so he says, e- even though she's weaker physically, she's an equal heir along with you. She's a co-heir. The King James Version says she's a joint heir with you. That even though she might be inferior to you in strength, you're equals. You're partners. You're a team together. And so, guys, you need to understand, your wife's role is not less important than yours. Your wife's job isn't less significant than yours. Your wife's opinion doesn't count less than yours. You're co-heirs before God. And so respect her. And value her. And seek out her input and help. You're a team together. Then the third thing that I think Peter says here at the end of verse 7, don't dare miss this, is that God is pretty dang serious about this, isn't he? In fact, did you hear what Peter says? He says, if you aren't going to take God seriously about this, he won't listen to your prayers. Isn't that what it says right there in black and white? So guys, let me ask you. How's your prayer life going? Do you feel like your prayers are effective? When you pour your heart out before God, do you feel like your prayers don't make it past the ceiling? Do you feel like God just isn't listening to you when you pray? Then I think Peter would say, why don't you check how you're treating your wife? It's not the only reason. There could be other reasons. But Peter would say, it's one reason. Are you valuing her? Do you seek to work together with her? Do you show her the respect and the consideration that she should get? Again, some of you are thinking, but I don't respect her. It doesn't matter. You show her the respect her position deserves. You say, well, she doesn't respect me. Why should I give her respect? That doesn't matter. You're the head in the home. Christ put you there. You set the example by respecting her regardless of how. She is with you. Say, but I don't even know if I like her. Doesn't matter. <laughs> See, God says, do it my way. And that means that if you're not treating your wife with consideration and with respect as a partner, as a co heir, then he says he's not going to listen to your prayers. I'd say that's pretty serious, wouldn't you? You know, I have a, a friend whose wife recently um, g- 
gave him divorce papers. And she said, you know, she doesn't love him anymore. In fact, uh, she said, I haven't loved you for the last several years. And, and he's broken up over that, like you'd expect. See, being, being married is hard work, isn't it? And what you have to do is you have to make this transition from being in love to choosing to love. See, a lot of us don't understand that. That's why my wife's friend, who's a Christian, who would claim to love and follow God, feels she's justified because she's not in love anymore. But we've got to learn to make the transition from being in love to choosing to love that other person. Maybe you're thinking, well, what does that mean? What's, what does it mean to choose to love? I, I think this is certainly part of it. It means this. It means that I'm going to do the things I need to do, whatever they are, to help our marriage succeed. It's not all on you. You, can't, you can do everything right. And if, you're, if your spouse chooses to, to turn away from that, it's, it's, it's out of your control. But choosing to love means that you're going to do everything you can to help this marriage work. Things like submitting. Things like showing respect. Things like living your life with the Spirit of Christ rather than trying to be the Holy Spirit in that other person's life. Things like showing consideration and working together as a team. And you know, when you're a team, what that means is sometimes one of you pulls more and sometimes the other one of you pulls more, right? We understand that. Guys, in athletics, a star player goes down. What do they always say? Somebody's going to have to pick up the slack for him or her, right? Somebody's going to have to step in and do more than they would normally do. See, being a team means we work together. Sometimes that means you do more. Sometimes that means I do more. But we work together as a team. Now, some of you have had a hard time listening to this because you can't get past in your mind what this other, what, what your husband or what your wife ought to be doing. Don't do that. Don't do that. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but, I mean, I'll do this, but he's never going to change or she's never going to change. That's not the point. See, the word of God is never about what somebody else ought to be doing. It's about what I ought to be doing. Am I being the kind of wife that God calls me to be? Am I being the kind of husband that God calls me to be? Am I being the kind of single person that God is calling and asking me to be? See, what in this message is for you? And are you going to obey it? And so, let me ask you if you're married this morning. How are things? Is there anything standing between you and God this morning? then do something about it. Start it here. Make the first steps now.
Is anything standing between you and your spouse today? Then do something about it. Take the first steps now. If you're single today, is there any issue standing between you and someone else that you've been ignoring, that you've been excusing? Then do something about it. See, Peter goes straight from talking to husbands and wives into the context of fuller relationships that we'll go into next week. But in verse 8, he says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. See, this just opens the context to, to our overall relationships with other people around us. So whether you're married or not, how's the standing between you and other people around you? Is there a problem? You say, yeah, this person needs to change. This per- No. <laughs> what do you need to do? See, take the first steps now. Well, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we would, again, just ask you to be released to to meet each one of us individually right where we are in these next few minutes. Lord, there's some of us who, who, who all, all we can think of is just how wonderful our relationship is right now with our husband or our wife. Lord, for that person, we just celebrate just how you're working in our marriage the right things that he's doing or that she's doing. But God, there's others of us who we know if we're honest, we've been taking our cues from how to be married more from the world than from the word. Lord, I would just pray that you'd give us the courage to take the first steps to changing that right now. That we would experience the breakthrough that you want to have in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our other relationships, God. And so give us the courage as we sing this song to not let this drift away, but to respond to your spirit and say, yes, God, I I want to do it your way. I, I, I confess, I admit, I, I ask, I, I call out to you, whatever it is, God, give us the courage to do it right now, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.